Am I on? Am I on? There we go. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, a couple weeks ago, we had a sermon on predestination. Yeah? Anyone? Yeah? You guys are kind of just chill this morning. Um, so as promised, um, we uploaded a number of questions on our Q&A podcast. And so they started actually launching on Thursday. So Thursday's question is, why can't I just choose God for myself? Friday's question is, um, but I have free will. I thought I chose God. What about my free will? So um, starting tomorrow, we have an entire week of more questions on predestination. So I want to encourage you to go check those out. And as promised, we wanted to um, go after that. This morning in our series on Ephesians, I want to answer two questions. Question number one, no pressure, but are you really saved? Question number two, prove it. How do you know that? Are you really saved and do you really know it? How do you know it? So when I was younger, this question haunted me. It tormented me. Um, I thought for sure that if I died, I did not know if I was going to be in heaven. I'm like, well, if I just did something really bad, then if I died doing that really bad thing, then I might actually go to hell. Like, and then I would read stories in the Bible where people would say, like, we prophesy in your name and we pray it in your name. And he says, away from me, evildoer, I never knew you. And they end up in hell and they're surprised. Anybody ever read passages like that? And then the question is, uh, am I going to be that guy? Anyone? I'm the only one. Good to know. I saw one head nod um, over here. Good to know. Well, what I found is that there are, are there are three big things that cause people to really question whether or not they can lose their salvation. And the first one that we have found is that when uh, we are struggling with a major sin in our life, especially the younger you are in your faith, the more this causes you to doubt whether or not you're really saved, or maybe even to question whether or not you can lose your salvation. So just a, a side thought for any mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, um, aunt, uncle, whatever, who has any influence over a young boy. Uh, I have personally found in years of being a youth pastor that the number one reason why kids are afraid they've lost their salvation, particularly young boys, is sexual sin. It's sexual sin. There's actually nothing that I have found that makes a young boy question the authenticity of their faith like sexual sin. And uh, so almost, I'd say 99.9% .9 of all the young boys I've talked to have wondered if God could still love them given their struggles with that. Just a FYI for those of you out there. But um, one of the things that makes people struggle with whether or not they're saved is the, the weight of their sin, sin struggles and habits that they've wrestled with. Number two is we open up the Bible sometimes and we read these verses that sometimes on a surface level can make us feel like it's possible to lose our salvation, like somebody was walking with Jesus and then they're not walking with Jesus anymore and reject him. A third one, a third reason why I think it can make us really question whether or not we can lose our salvation is how many of you know someone that claimed to follow Christ, grew, and is no longer currently a follower of Jesus? Only me, a couple of you? And so as a, as a kid, I was like, people lose their salvation all the time. And then there is this passage of scripture that I read in about fifth grade. I want to read it for you. This passage like rocked my world, sent me into an emotional, spiritual tailspin. And uh, what should have been an encouraging passage left to myself was not good. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, here's what the Apostle Paul says. Examine yourselves to see 
whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? And so as a kid, I read this and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna examine myself. How do I do that? What's the test? And wouldn't you think the Apostle Paul would give you the test, right? No, he doesn't. In all aggravation, here's what he writes. Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. And as a kid, I'm like, for real, Paul. Like, you couldn't tell me, like, what's the test? Like, and, and so, thankfully, this morning, through, I think, the big picture of Scripture, we're able to pull out some things that I think can really help you know that you know that you know that you truly are a genuine Christian who is filled with the Spirit of God. That's my goal by the end of this. And we're going to be in two verses, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And uh, many years ago, I was... Um, in a school in Colorado, and as a part of my internship, I had to go to a bunch of different churches. I had to write papers on these churches, examine their philosophy of ministry, meet with their pastors, etc. So I went to this very, very large, very well-known church, and I thought for sure, like, this was going to be a good church. So I go in, and the sermon title is this, How Four Steps to Losing Your Salvation. I thought it was a joke, and I'm like, okay, like, fine. So step number four, I would like to just read it for you. Step number four, unchoose him. Since you, have, since you chose him, you can unchoose him. If you are saved through an exercise of your own free will, then it stands the reason that you can be unsaved by a similar exercise of your own free will. Do you know what I wanted to do at that point? I wanted to stand up, to run to the front of the stage, take the microphone out of the guy's hand and declare this man is a liar, right? Not that I'm opinionated or anything, but like if you know me, that might have happened. Like, and so I'm sitting here, I'm just taking copious notes, like, and I'm like, with a, with a pen, I know it's great, with a pen, I'm like, like, what is this insanity that's being said? I even found out that this girl that I liked was going to church there, and I'm like, she's out of the equation. Anybody who lacks the discernment to go to this church, I'm not dating her. Anyways, so like... But so many people grow up in an environment where this is common thinking and teaching, and it's devastating. It's devastating to your soul. It's devastating your relationship with God. It misrepresents him and the gospel over and over again. Some of you, you grew up Roman Catholic, and uh, you grew up with this idea that if you committed a mortal sin, that you would be removed from a state of grace, and if you died, you would go to hell because from that system, your salvation is based on good works and faith, a combination, and your bad works, certain bad works, can remove you from this state of security with God, right? And it's like, is that at all, A, what the Bible teaches? Please say no, right? And these perspectives and understandings can lead us to a place where we believe that if I'm bad enough, then I can lose my standing before God. And is that what the Bible teaches? The answer is absolutely no. John writes in 1 John 5.13, he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Three times John separately says, I want you to know, to know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. And so here's my question. Are you saved? And how do you know? So in your notes, number one on here, we're gonna build. Number one is, I know I am saved because I believe. Ephesians 1.13, here's what he says. In him, who is him? Jesus, you can say Jesus, it's okay, we're in church. In him. 
in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. We're just going to pause here, okay? And so we have to go kind of back to the beginning here. And there's something that is being heard. And what's being heard is the word of, say with me, truth, which is the gospel of your salvation. Now, by hearing, does he mean that this is strictly audible? No, the implication here is that this is hearing with understanding. So you can communicate in Braille, you can communicate with a, a computer or a pen and paper or your words. The whole idea here is that something needs to be understood. And you're going to hear this, you're going to hear the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation. Now, here's what I have to do with you. I have to explain this uh, because I have found that so many people do not understand and can articulate one of the most basic truths of Christianity. When I was a youth pastor, I would ask our kids this, what does the word gospel mean? Nine out of 10 of them could not answer that question for me, even the ones who grew up in the church. Answers would be, uh, the gospel is, uh, I don't know, God. Um, the gospel is the Bible. I don't know, the gospel is John 3.16. But I, for the life of me, no matter how many times I taught it, I could not just get into their brains. Like, all right, guys, the gospel, let me just, so I'm gonna break it down. Are you ready? The gospel um, literally means good news, okay? Now, for many of you, this is a no-brainer, right? But for many of you, you're like, oh, I didn't know that. You use this word all the time, and I've never quite gotten it. The gospel is a word that means good news. And the news is a message. It's a story. It's actually a set of propositions, if you will. And so here's what the good news or the word gospel means. It is a story or a set of messages that make a story. It is good news. Is it bad news? The answer is no. So here's what I want to do. I want to just tell you what the gospel is as simply as humanly possible. And then I want you to understand from this point on forevermore, the word gospel equals Good news. Okay, the good news is good because there's bad news. And the bad news is this. You are a sinner who deserves hell. Can I get an amen? <laughs> You're like, eh, do I want to give an amen to that? Right? And that's hard, right? But part of this good news is that there's really bad news. Your sin is so vile that the only just punishment is hell. But God so loved you that he gave his only son, whose name is? Jesus, you're so smart, fully God, fully man. And Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins. Number one, you're a sinner. Number two, Jesus, God, died on the cross for your sins. And God the Father raised him from the dead, proving that his sacrifice was accepted. Number one, you're a sinner. Number two, God, Jesus, died on the cross for your sins, rose again from the dead. Finally, you are saved by faith and not by good works. What are you saved by? Faith. Are you saved by good works? No. So the gospel is a message. It is good news. And the message is, sinner, God, Jesus died for your sins, rose again from the dead, believe in him. Do you understand? Very simple. Now here's the challenge. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, can somebody believe in God without hearing and understanding the gospel? Please say no. No, I wanna read you a passage of scripture, Romans 1.16, and I think this is gonna help you understand something very important about this word gospel, this word good news. He says, I am not ashamed of the, say it with me, the gospel, and that's that 
story that said uh, that, that you are a sinner, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose again from the dead by faith, right? Good. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God for salvation. For who? To everyone who believes, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, doesn't matter who you are. And this is what I want you to understand. There are a million stories, but there is one story that has intrinsic power endowed to it by God himself, that when this message, this news, this story is told, it inherently has power in it that no other story on the planet has. I can tell you all about my fear of losing my salvation, and that story has no inherent power in it. But God has ordained that when this good news, when this gospel is communicated in a way that is understood, it has inherent intrinsic power in it, which is why every Sunday we regularly tell the gospel over and over and over again. We come to communion, and communion is not for non-Christians, but we share the, the gospel, the simple gospel message every time we come to communion, not because it's the cute Christian thing to do, but because no one who walks into this room who does not believe in Jesus will ever, ever believe unless you understand it. Ever. And when we proclaim this, this is the one news, the one bit of story, the one message that God has ordained in all the stories of the universe that has intrinsic power, the power of God in it. Every time the gospel is heard and understood, it has an effect on the hearer, whether they re receive it or reject it. Every time. And so this is why we want you to know with clarity and simplicity what the word gospel means. Because if you don't understand the gospel, then you're not exercising the power of God for salvation. So you believed because someone at some point in your life communicated, whether through braille, sign language, words, blog, whatever, somebody communicated to you. You heard it. And as a result of hearing that gospel uh, presentation, that good news, that message, God saved you and you believed. Do you get that? You have to know what the word gospel is. Otherwise, so much of what we do here and your mission in life will just fly right over your head. The most common lie that I encounter um, over and over and over again in Almost everybody that I know that's not a Christian, um, many, many people in church, especially like once or twice a year Christians, the most common lie that I hear that I honestly have to go after over and over and over again is the following lie. I'm good, therefore I'll go to heaven. I cannot even begin to tell you how many times I will look at somebody and say, how do you know, like how does somebody go to heaven? How do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I'm, I'm a good person. That is so fundamentally opposed to the gospel message. And so here's what you're gonna find. Like when I preach the gospel and whatnot, you're gonna find that over and over and over and over again that I have to dismantle every person's notion in this room that your good works or good behavior or the good things that you did or the fact that you're better than somebody else had any bearing on your salvation in any way, shape, or form. It is a gut-wrenching process, and every single week, I would guess 10 to 20 to 30% of the people who hear these sermons truly believe deep down inside that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell if there's a hell at all. And so when I proclaim the gospel, one of the things I really have to focus on is you are not saved by good works, you're saved by belief. Everyone who 
believes. And so we go back to Rome, or Ephesians 1, 13. In him also, when you heard and understood the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Now here's the problem we find in American Christianity. It's easy to believe. Catch this. James says, even the demons believe and shudder. What makes you different than a demon? Like what, what is it about the demon's belief that doesn't lead to salvation, but your belief that apparently does lead to salvation? And we're gonna unpack how that might look in your life, right, in a little bit. Um, but we gotta just dig into this word deep, because, into, into this word believe, because for many of you, I can look at you and say, do you acknowledge this fact that God is holy and you're a sinner? You can be like, yep, got it. Do you acknowledge this fact that God gave Jesus as a sacrifice for your sins in your place, raised him from the dead, and that it is not by works that you're saved? And many of you can say yes. Here's the problem. You believe here, but you don't believe here. And this is, this is the catch. This is the sticky part. A synonym for belief is trust. And here's the way I like to explain it to people. I like to say this. I know you believe here, but do you have any appreciation or gratitude for what God has done for you in Jesus at all? Because once you start to go from belief in your head to your heart, gratitude and appreciation is what starts to emerge. If you deal with God and talk to God about once or twice a year or only when life is really hard, you may not be grateful for what he's done for you in Jesus Christ. On the other hand, that's one of the greatest indicators that your belief has gone from your head to your heart. So how do I know that I'm saved? Well, first of all, I know that I'm saved because I believe. I believe, I don't just believe in here, but I believe I'm a sinner. I mean, I look in the mirror, I look at my soul, and I'm just like, I have a major problem. But despite that, I believe that God loves me. I believe that he gave his only son for me. I believe that on the cross, Jesus took the punishment that I should have paid for my own sins, and he took it on his own body and his own soul and his own emotions. I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, and I am so grateful, and I believe that I am saved not by being good, but only by trusting in Jesus. I want you to hear that that gospel message and the reason I even just articulated it to you is because the Bible says even that articulation that there is intrinsic and inherent power in it and if you are not a believer in Jesus, the gospel is doing something in your heart whether you realize it right now. Fellow Christians, believers, filled church, visiting friends and families, you have the power of God for salvation in your fingertips. Use it. Number two, I know I'm saved. I know I truly believe because I have the Holy Spirit. So Paul goes on, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, here's what necessarily, absolutely, 100% of the time happens when somebody hears and then believes, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Two things I want you to, to draw your attention to. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a what? Seal. I do a great seal impression, but that is not the kind of seal we're going to talk about. I've embarrassed myself thoroughly in the past by doing my seal impression from the pulpit. My wife says, don't ever do that again. You'd be in big trouble. A seal is an imprint of a personal image, often from nobility through a ring or a stone. Here's some pictures of what seals would look like. The left is a crystal seal, very beautiful. 
Um, these ones are actually rings that are used and, and these communicate quite a bit. If you get an envelope from somebody, it has a, an authoritative seal on it. You know that this thing's gonna be fairly important, correct? Yes. And then uh, I wanna just under, I wanna communicate to you the five things that you being sealed with the Holy Spirit means. Uh, number one, if you have believed because you heard the gospel and understood it and you are given the Holy Spirit your seal means five things. Number one, this is for real. This is authentic. This is not a fake salvation. This is as true as true gets. So I imagine a world, play with me a little bit here. I imagine a world where demons and angels can tell who Christians are and are not because they are sealed spiritually with the Holy Spirit. So like when a demon comes up to a Christian, demons aren't like, like wondering, are they saved? Are they not saved? Let's look at their good works and see if they are or not. Like the Holy Spirit seals them and sets them apart. And so like I just have this like, clear sense in my brain that they know clearly who is saved and who isn't, right? And so I imagine a demon going up to a Christian and have the seal of the Holy Spirit. It's like, yeah, is this thing for real? And it has the seal of the Holy Spirit of God. It's like, no, this is an authentic believer. Okay, but what about this, 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 and this in their life? Nope, sealed. It is official. Like, this is a true, authentic believer. And then the second one is this. It has God's authority with it. Don't mess with this. If something is sealed by the king, do you tamper with this thing? The answer is no, this is sealed by God with the Holy Spirit and your soul was sealed with the Holy Spirit and when somebody as powerful as God seals something, nobody messes it because, with it because it is God's authority. Number three, it gives us the assurance of origin. God himself sealed this. It is very, very hard, if not impossible, to replicate seals back in the day. Now we can replicate anything, but imagine trying to replicate the beauty and intricacy of those seals, right? Very, very difficult. This salvation came directly from God. This is from God. If you're sealed, every demon and every angel understands the origin of your salvation. Number four, security. This has not been tampered with. Jesus will finish what he started. He will deliver to the Father what he began in you. This will be sealed, signed, delivered, executed 100%. But my favorite is number five, ownership. This is mine. We seal our possessions. It's a very common practice in this time. You seal what is yours. It is a stamp of ownership. No one can take this away from God because it's God's. You know who loses possessions? We do. Does God ever lose what is his? The answer is never, ever. The Holy Spirit is God's insignia on your soul that this soul belongs to God. This seal is authentic and authoritative. The question, I want you to hear this. The question is not, can I lose my salvation? If you're asking that question, you are asking a fundamentally broken question. Here's the question you need to ask. Can Jesus lose any of the father's children? The answer is unequivocally, objectively, no. The question is not, can you lose your salvation? The question is, can Jesus lose the father's children? He's not a weakling. He's not a wimp. He is the powerful son of God who promises to finish in you what he has started. And if Jesus himself commits to finishing something, will he finish it? Yes. Can your bad works thwart his plan to finish you? The answer is never, ever, ever. And then some of you will say, and I wanna just invite the questions, but what about those who fall away? Well, Matthew 13, go read this. It's the parable of the sower. It's a really helpful parable. 
but here's one of the things that Jesus makes clear. Those who persevere to the end, what will they be? They will be saved. I wanna share with you the two things that weed out almost every single false Christian on the planet, time and suffering. Time and suffering. You give people enough time, if their faith is not genuine, they will meander away from the Lord and walk away. And if you wanna find out the true sincerity and authenticity of your faith to see if the Holy Spirit is in you, suffer. And as you suffer, the reality and the genuineness of your faith in the presence of the Holy Spirit will be tested and it will be exposed. And so here's what we find over time is that the genuineness of our salvation is validated over time and especially through suffering. Second thing we see is that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. And this, is, uh, this means basically two things. Number one, it means like a down payment, okay? And so um, you think about this, you go to buy a house. Some of you put 3% down, some of you put five, some of you put 20 if you're awesome, you put 100, good for you, kudos. You're like the 1%. Um, and this down payment, though, is your commitment. You're saying, I'm gonna invest a lot into this as proof that I'm gonna finish what I started, okay? This is gonna cost you a lot of money. I'm making a down payment. Some people use like an earnest money as an illustration of this. If you know what earnest money is, it's a good illustration. It's you're, you're putting your money where your mouth is. You're saying, nope, I'm committing to this process. Actually, out of this word um, is where we get our idea of an engagement ring. And so in an engagement ring, you're looking, you're spending a lot of money and you are looking at this woman and you're saying, I am making a huge investment to you. I am gonna take this thing all the way to the aisle and until death do us part. Can I get an amen from all you single dudes? Good, right, good. Uh, and I am gonna invest a lot of money into this as a sign to you that I'm all in and that I'm fully committed. That's where this kind of idea comes from. And so here's what we see is that God has invested the blood of his only son into as a deposit. And not only that, he has given you the Holy Spirit himself that says, look, I will absolutely finish what I started. This thing is secure, I guarantee it. And if God guarantees it, can you trust it? The answer is every single time. God has invested way too much to pull out of this contract and God never breaks a contract. Okay, so how do I know that I have the Holy Spirit? I wanna share with you 35 ways. I'm joking. It's only going to be eight. It's only going to be eight. It's going to be fine. And then we'll end here. <laughs> One third of the way through the sermon. Just kidding. Let's go fast. A couple, couple caveats here. How many of you have been frustrated with your like, lack of spiritual growth? So two of us. Good. All right. There we go. A couple, couple of people are telling the truth and all the rest of you lie a lot. So, okay, good. I'm as mature as I've ever wanted to be. It's just, you know. I want to encourage you here because what I want to actually help you do is discern the authenticity of your salvation because the Bible actually gives clues to how to do this. But here's a huge warning for you. Don't try to discern the authenticity of your salvation in your highest highs or your lowest lows. Because if you try to discern it in your highest highs, you're typically going to think you're more awesome than you are and in your lowest lows, you're going to think you're infinitely worse than you really are. If you struggle with any kind of depression, especially, wait till the fog clears before you really wrestle deeply through this issue. 
because you're not gonna have the ability in the midst of depression to process clearly. If you've had a history of drug addiction or anything that's messed with the chemicals in your body, in those low moments where you have those ups and downs, the last thing you probably wanna do is try to discern some of these things when your emotions are up and down. So I just wanna give a, just a, a big warning to you. The times where you wanna do this is when you're clear-headed and life is just kinda normal. That's the most ideal way to do this. And the way I want to do this is if you listen to our podcast, the Q&A podcast, you're going to hear me talk about a cumulative case argument. Here's a cumulative case argument. It simply says this, that each point alone isn't going to make the point. But when you put all of them together, cumulatively or together, together they form an undeniable conclusion. And so here's what I want to do. What I want to do is I want to give you eight different things that if these are resident in you, each one of them alone are not likely things where you can step back and say, I know that I know that I know because of this. But if you're experiencing all of these to any degree, that is like incredible probability that the Holy Spirit might be in you. And so one of my desires in this next step here is just to help you think clearly. And we go back to that 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Like, don't you want to pass the test? Well, here's some of the tests that you need to pass. Number one. I know I have the Holy Spirit because I believe in Jesus. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And here's what that means. If you have the Spirit of God, you will not blaspheme the name of Jesus. You will not say, I don't believe in Jesus or Jesus is not God. If you have the Spirit of God, you cannot say that in a clean, with a clean conscience. Okay? And so if you find yourself saying, oh, I don't believe in God, I hate Jesus, right? That is core evidence that the Holy Spirit of God is probably not in you. Now, let me go the other way here. Can you be angry at Jesus? A bunch of you are angry at Jesus right now, right? You love him, right? Like your wife or your husband. You're like, I love you, but I'm mad at you. Like, I'd like to have some words with you. And then Jesus is like, shush, I'm right. And you're like, okay, fine. But I'm not saying we don't have emotions toward Jesus. This is different. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will never, ever reject or deny Jesus Christ. Will you struggle sometimes with Christianity, with the gospel? Yes, struggling is not denying. Do you hear that? Struggling is not denying. Struggling is life. But then it goes on and says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That your ability, not just like cognitively, like emotionally, affectionately say Jesus is my God. That is not possible without the Spirit of God. I'm gonna give you an illustration. What is your physical body without your spirit? Dead, it's a corpse, right? And what is our spirit uh, without the Spirit of God? Spiritually dead. So a non-Christian who doesn't have the Spirit of God is spiritually, we'll just say, um, a zombie. When a physical body is resurrected from the dead, what immediately happens? There's a breath, right? And your breath is a sign that there is life. What is the first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit fills and resurrects a spiritually dead person? Belief. Proclamation. If you can proclaim it, it is because the Holy Spirit is already in you. If you breathe... It's because you're already alive. Your breath is the effect of being resurrected. 
And the effect of your spiritual resurrection is a proclamation of faith in Jesus. If you proclaim faith in Jesus, it's because you have been spiritually resurrected and the Holy Spirit is present in you. And you say, Jesus is Lord. You get it? Number two, the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit. This one bothers me. Just gonna be straight with you. Don't totally understand it all the time. I like to quantify things and measure things, right? I wanted to, here's four evidences that the Holy Spirit does this. And, okay, it just doesn't help me a whole lot. But the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit. In Romans 8, 16, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I love it. He doesn't just bear witness that we're saved, but that we're sons. And so the Holy Spirit inside of you, I can't tell you how it's gonna work. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you have no idea what he's talking about. But if you do have the Holy Spirit, there is a self-authenticating nature of the Spirit of God inside of you that says you're a son. And when Satan says you are rejected, you are not loved, the quiet, powerful voice of the Holy Spirit says, no, you're a son. And if a son, then an heir. And if an heir, you better believe you're saved. And so I don't understand how it all works, but I just know this, that there are these moments where I'm like, man, how could God love me? And the spirit of God inside of me is just like, dude, relax. You're a son. It's okay. Number three, I intuitively cry out to my father in despair. Mark 14, 36. And he, who's he? Jesus. Who's he? Jesus, good. And Jesus said, Abba, Father, you have to get, he's in the garden and this is weeping and emotional pain that is going on in him. Dad, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Here's what Jesus is saying. Fully human. Looks at the father and says, is there any other way than me having to bear on my body, soul, and emotions the full weight of your wrath toward every single human who has ever sinned on the planet? Is there any other way? And of course, does he know the answer? Yeah. He's not dumb, he gets it. He's expressing his emotions. And he looks at him and he just cries out. And then Paul picks up this theme. And here's what Paul says. Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. What's it doing? Crying. Ahaba, Father. And Paul's not done. He goes in Romans 8.15 says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom, what do we do? We cry, Abba, Father. And so when your life is at its worst, when you are as low as you can go, is there something intuitively inside of you that says, Dad, I need help? If your life is at its worst and there is no inclination in your soul to cry out to God and somebody has to say to you, maybe you should talk to God about this. The Holy Spirit in trials pushes in you a desire to cry out to your heavenly dad and to say, you own all the resources in this world. Could you please just intervene here? And I think your most difficult moments, who you cry out to intuitively in that time, is a huge revealing of what's going on in our hearts. Number four. I know the Holy Spirit because I'm growing in my love for worship. Now, let's be straight. I'm not talking about worship music, although that applies, Okay. All worship music is not created equal. Can I get an amen, right? Every, <laughs> every Sunday morning, some of you are like, kill me now. Some of you are like, this is the greatest thing that has ever happened. And then the rest of you are like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. I can do anything anywhere. It doesn't matter. Uh, I'm like glad I'm a preacher and not a worship leader. Jeez. Uh, but here's what he means. 
that your desire to give God glory is increasing. Now, have you reached the pinnacle desire of wanting to give God glory? Like, are you like the perfect glory giver on the planet, right? The answer is no. This is not about perfection. It's not about have I reached or attained the standard of the person next to me. It's about progress. Is God taking you from where you were to someplace new? Do you see progress in your life? And here's what Jesus says. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That what the Holy Spirit does is he propels greater levels of worship in us. Get out of your brain that worship equals music. Worship can be music, but worship is infinitely bigger than that. And so here's the basic desire. The Holy Spirit, if he's in you, more and more will give you a desire to make much of God more and more. Does that mean you will not desire to make much of yourselves? No, we're sinners until we die and get new bodies. But what you're gonna find is that you're like, wow, like I actually wanna give God more glory the older I get. Number five, God uses me. I know I have the Holy Spirit because God uses me. This is a weird sentence. I want to break it down, but it's kind of strange. You may read this and be like, eh, Bible talk, but it's simple. To each, and by each he means what? All Christians, is given the manifestation of the Spirit. A manifestation simply means this. It's, it means something is becoming visible. It's like there's a big fog between us, and the closer I get to you, I'm becoming more and more clear and visible. That is, I'm becoming manifest. What was once foggy is becoming clearly seen, okay? And so this is um, what it's saying here is that, look, every one of you is given something that makes the Holy Spirit more visible in the community for who? The common good, which is the church. We call these spiritual gifts or spiritual ministries, but it's basically things that God asks us to do, and when we do them, the Holy Spirit moves and makes himself known. I'll give you an example to break it down. Um, apparently, you guys let me teach semi-regularly, okay? And the idea of a teaching gift is that when I communicate, if I have a gift, you learn and you love God more, Okay? And so I'm not asking for affirmation, right? That's not like the point of this, okay? I'm just, so uh, when I was 19, I started teaching. And I was atrocious, like so terrible, so pathetic. I didn't even agree with half of what I said, right? <laughs> and kids started coming to Christ, knowing God's word, and then loving him. And I'm like, oh, maybe I guess I should figure out how to do this better because like God uses me here. Um, one time I gave a sermon on the book of Jonah. Worst sermon ever. Didn't even agree with my interpretation terribly long message, like 60 minutes long. And the whole time I'm like, I don't even like what I'm saying. I'm bored with myself. This girl comes up to me and she's like, that sermon changed my life. I trusted in Jesus because of it. And I'm like, were we even listening to the same sermon? <laughs> and the only redeeming factor about this 60 minute, like terrible experience was that I proclaimed the gospel which had, which had intrinsic power to save this girl. That's it. And so what I found is I'm like, oh, like I, I guess I should keep doing that because God's like using that despite the fact that I'm an imbecile. And so like it kind of, and so I would do these and the spirit would make himself manifest. And this is an experience that everybody gets to have. Now, many of you are not up front. You're behind the scenes, right? And some of you, you're wondering, does God use me? Just a great question for you to ask somebody that loves you, knows you, and serves with you is the following. How do you see that God has used me? And they might never have considered the question. So give them permission. Say, could you just think about it for a week and get back to me? Don't like force them to answer it on the spot. Like, it's not the point. 
But the point is, how is God using you? And what I have found is that God uses people all the time in very meaningful ways because that's what the Spirit does. Number six, people see more of Jesus in me. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. The fruit of the Spirit, the effect of the Spirit, the result of the Spirit is that you should, to varying degrees, depending on the person and the virtue, grow in these. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So you don't just say, am I better than I was yesterday? Because yesterday you might have had a terrible moment. You look over the long haul. We play the long game in Christianity. Look back five years or 10 years and I say, am I still the same idiot that I was back then? Or is like God doing little works here and there? And this is what you wanna see. You wanna see that God is slowly or quickly pushing you further. Number seven, I am struggling to overcome sin. John 16, 8, when the, he, the spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I wanna just ask you this. Are you struggling with sin? I'm not talking about struggling to get buff, okay? I'm not talking about struggling at like weird things. I'm just saying, do you have a real battle with sin? Because if you do, that is likely evidence that the Holy Spirit is alive in you. Let me give you an illustration. There's two men overboard on a ship and one is face down in the water. And the waves are strong and they're big and he is not moving and they're calling his name and there's no response. And they realize after a good minute or two, the guy's dead. And there's another person in the water and he's being bobbed up and down, taken underneath the water. He's flailing, he's struggling, he's fighting. And they throw a um, tube at him. What do you call those tubes? Oh, life vest preserve a, a tube thing. They throw a tube thing in him. A lifesaver, sure. Um, <laughs> it didn't spark, no. So they throw something at him that's buoyant. <laughs> so he's like, ah, he's grasping at it and he can't get it. So they pull it back and he gets under and he's taken up again. And, and so I want to ask you a question. Which one is alive? It's the one who's struggling. It's the one who's fighting because it takes life to fight. And so some of you are like, I'm struggling with sin and I hate it. And your struggle with sin is based on this. Like, you know God doesn't like it. You know he wants more for you. This isn't like, I'm just struggling to get straight A's. It has nothing to do with that. This is, I am struggling with sin and I want to please God and you know you can't. And I just wanna give you a big fat encouragement. If you are a sinner who struggles with sin, that is enormous evidence of the resident Holy Spirit inside of you because dead people don't struggle. Dead people struggle for selfish reasons. Living people struggle because they wanna please God and they're like, why do I do this, this body of sin inside of me? The struggle is real, hashtag. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know, it's cheesy. It's cheesy. And finally, number eight. I long for heaven. I don't just long like to get away from this. I mean, I really, really want heaven. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I don't know about you, but like I think I'm like, Jesus, come back. I'm ready. I'm like two thumbs up. I'm pumped up. I'm happy to be done here. I'm happy to be in the new heaven, the new earth. I'm happy for a new body. I'm happy to receive the full inheritance. I'm happy to be a son. I'm just happy to do it. And I just wanna look at you and say, are you pumped about heaven? 
Not just because it makes your life easier, gets rid of your problems, but because you actually get to be with God. And you get to see him make right all of the injustice in this world. And you get to see every piece of brokenness on this planet healed and redeemed and made right. That longing inside of us is evidence of the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit who causes us to groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. So I just wanna, I wanna close with this. You um, may believe, you may be convinced. My desire is that you would know that you know that you know. And that as you take the cumulative of these experiences in your life, you'd be able to step back and say, I'm definitely not where I wanna be, but I do have the Holy Spirit. And I wanna just give you this promise. Jesus will finish what he started in you. He is the author of your faith, but he is also the what? The perfecter or the finisher. Jesus does not start projects and then give them up. He always finishes his projects. And every single one of us that have been given the Holy Spirit, if you see these things in you, here's what I want you to know. Your destiny is sealed. Your adoption is guaranteed. Your redemption is accomplished. He will, through the Holy Spirit, who is your seal and guarantee, finish this work and allow your struggles to be affirmation of the resident Holy Spirit inside of you. And if you are not a believer in Jesus, I just have one plea for you, believe. There's a bunch of religious people and they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what good works do we need to do to be saved? You know what he says to them? Here's the good work. You want good works? I'll give you a good work. Here's the good work. Do this and you'll get saved. Believe. Believe in me. That's it. And if you want to receive the Holy Spirit, you need to hear the gospel and you need to believe. And that is it. And my prayer, my deepest prayer for you today is that this would be the day that you trust in Jesus Christ for the first time. And it goes from your head and it sinks down into your soul and your heart and you, from your gut, believe it. And you're gonna watch these eight things, the Holy Spirit, who then seals and guarantees you will start to grow in you. And that is my prayer for you. Let's pray together. Father, really, truly so grateful to be adopted. So grateful that despite my sin, despite my struggles, despite my stupidity, you love me. And um, it's crazy. I don't know why, but you do. And so God, you loved each of us so much that you gave us your Holy Spirit and you have promised and guaranteed this. But Lord, I wanna confess to you that many of us, we doubt sometimes. We believe the lie that, be, that if I just do something bad or if I struggle enough that that can make you unlove us, but your love is guaranteed, sealed, and forever. It is legal and you never break a binding contract. And so Father, I wanna just say thank you and would you take that truth and that reality and sink it deep into our hearts and would you eradicate any semblance of the lies that we can lose our salvation through bad works or through any other means. And Father, for those wondering, am I truly saved, would you just give them by your Holy Spirit that assurance that they might know that they have eternal life like John said he wants us to have. And so Father, as we come to this communion table, all of this is rooted in what you did for us when you gave your son Jesus on the cross. So on behalf of every follower of Jesus, filled with your Holy Spirit, with all gratitude I can muster to say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.